Coming up on Stu Does America, apparently Congress is about to confirm Lady Jim Jones to the Supreme Court of the United States. Faithwire's Dan Andrus joins us to tell us how quickly she'll enact a total theocratic regime. I'm so excited, can't even wait. And Keith Olbermann is still alive. I know, I was not aware either, although I saw something about him voicing a whale on a talking animal show. Anyway, he's alive and still crazy, and we'll look at his latest certifiable moment. Don't forget to sign yourself up and your family to our YouTube channel. The evil algorithm robots don't make it easy for conservatives. No, they don't. But we're still growing like crazy thanks to you. Don't forget to select the little bell icon at the top that gives you notifications whenever we post. And skip the boring visuals and beam me straight into your ear holes with the Stu Does America podcast. You can get anywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate us five stars. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. It helps us grow the show and save lots of adorable puppies in the process. And if you're like me, you barely got through four minutes of Democratic posturing this morning during the Supreme Court confirmation hearing before turning off the television and tossing it into a ditch. But just because you're not watching doesn't mean you can't support Amy Coney Barrett. No, you can. Right now, head to stewdoesmerch.com. Get your very own notorious ACB t-shirt. Annoy everyone around you for the good of this nation. Now tonight, I'm giving you a choice. Do you want to be lied to and feel happy? Or do I tell you the unvarnished truth, which will add how to tie a noose to your search history? Well, guess what, conservative nerds? We're all in this torture hell of 2020 together. So let's do Trump's Last Stand. Stu does America. Let me take you back to 1996. Mm. A youthful Stu Bergier waiting at a light across from Connecticut's highest quality convenience store, Food Bag just days away from casting his first presidential vote in a completely hopeless effort to turn Connecticut red for Bob Dole. Yeah. As I sat at the light, I remember realizing how hopeless the election was for Dole, not just in Connecticut, obviously that was true, but nationwide. But then a talk show host came on and made a very convincing case as to why the media was lying to me and how in the end, Dole was actually going to pull this thing out. And I have to say, it felt pretty freaking good. I mean, look, even Dole family members weren't that passionate about Bob Dole. We got it. I certainly wanted him over Bill Clinton, though. Plus, the host was so definitive. Like, this was really going to happen. And he wouldn't be so sure of himself unless he really believed it. Because what happens if he's wrong? He's going to look like an idiot. Well, spoiler alert, Dole lost by nine. And my innocence was forever shattered. Looking back at it, I realized that the whole talk show monologue was nothing but a pep talk. It wasn't real analysis or even a slightly rosy version of what might be possible. It was pretty much just a lie to make the audience feel good. And I hated that. It felt icky. Treat me like an adult. Don't lie to me to make me feel good. That's why I vowed from that moment on, if I ever had an audience of my own, I would strive to make them feel horrible each and every day. You're welcome. That's the Stu Does America guarantee. Honestly, if you bother to take the time to show up and watch or listen to this stupid show every night, I'm going to try to give you some smart analysis, stupid laughs, and only occasionally the opposite. I hope You'll be entertained and informed. But either way, I'm just dumb enough to tell you what I think the truth is. 
Over the summer, we did a few shows about the state of the race at that moment. Back then, I told you that Trump was behind. But this has been, you know, such a crazy year, it wasn't really worth worrying until the end of September. Then I had to miraculously fight off the coronavirus. But after all of that heroism, I am back. And here we are. It is officially time to worry. This election is three weeks from today. Three freaking weeks. About 12 million people have already voted, which is just shy of 10% of the expected electorate. I have heard and seen a lot of conservative media talking about how in a few weeks, Democrats are going to be crying themselves to sleep at night. There are some serious conservatives outlining a possible path to victory, and then others who are just doing cheerleading and pep talks. But I come to you today with a serious, tough love message. Unless something major changes, Donald Trump is going to lose. This is Trump's last stand. He is significantly behind, and he has three weeks left to make his move. How can this be true? Because I, too, think about the image of Joe Biden bumbling his way through the oath of the office and fear for the future of this country. Can I explain to you how anyone would willingly vote for Joe Biden? No, I cannot. He's obviously terrible and has the current mental capacity of a sponge. But this is our reality right now. There's only three weeks to go. And not to make excuses for Donald Trump, but think about what he's trying to accomplish here for a second. He was able to get into office in a very close election in which he loses the popular vote. He then takes an unprecedented beating from the media. No president has ever had to deal with such an outwardly hostile press. It has never happened. He spent his entire presidency with an approval rating in the low to mid 40s. And then he enters an election year with a roaring economy and a good argument for re-election and is hit with the worst pandemic the world has seen in over 100 years. The economy gets destroyed. He's forced into crisis mode. He shuts down the economy for six weeks. That six weeks stretches into much, much longer in many of the states and puts millions of people out of work. Rationally, most people would understand that this was an impossible, unforeseen circumstance, but Look, there are millions of people out of work, millions of people who thought everything was going to be just fine and now see no hope for recovery. Think about your life if you worked at a bar or a concert venue. When, I mean, when is that business coming back? Right or wrong, certainly some of those people are going to vote against Trump just because they're miserable and hate their life right now. Then the election starts and your strength as a candidate, if you're Donald Trump, huge in-person rallies are basically illegal. Then add on the fact that demographic changes are working against you. In other words, if Trump won the exact same percentage of every demographic group in 2020 as he did in 2016, he would lose to Joe Biden just because of demographic changes. This is an insurmountable amount of obstacles. This is a very difficult thing Donald Trump is trying to do. I think so much of the conservative side of the media is trying to be encouraging, which is, you know, it's well, well intended, I think. But to be encouraging to tell you, oh, well, this is going to happen. Keep your hopes up and you should keep your hopes up. But you should also realistically know where this thing stands. Yes, the media is unfair to Donald Trump. Yes, they're going to tell you all sorts of crazy things. Yes, they're going to lie to make him look worse. But this isn't just them lying to you. This is a situation where Donald Trump needs things to change in the next three weeks to win this election. 
That is where we stand right now. We have more in just a second. Stop overpaying for car and homeowners insurance. You don't need to do that anymore. Uh, See about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have thanks to Gabby Insurance. I took the Gabby Insurance challenge, if you will. I uh, basically you can have you can it's really easy to do. You basically can give them the information of your your current policy in a couple of different ways. They walk you through it. It's pretty easy. But that's what I think is great about Gabby. It's not like some generic random quote like you're uh, 42 years old and you can save 20 percent. No, they're going to tell you the exact same coverage on the exact same automobiles, everything. And they're going to test it piece by piece, and make sure you have the best price for that coverage. It's the same coverage. What do you care what company is with? You want to make sure it's, the, it's a high-quality company that's going to actually do the job of your insurance company, but it's going to save you money. Well, Gabby can find that for you. Uh, it's really easy to do. It takes just minutes. You'll be able to see quotes for really the exact prices that you're trying to uh, find for your insurance. They have car insurance and homeowner's insurance. Uh, Gabby is a great company. You're going to really like them. Um, if you, it's totally free to check your rate and there's no obligation. Take a few minutes right now. Stop overpaying on your car and home insurance. Go to Gabby.com slash stew. G-A-B-I dot com slash stew. Be sure to use the slash stew part because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Gabby.com slash stew. Gabby.com slash stew. Okay, we're talking about the election, and we're talking openly and honestly about where we stand. Uh, We've entitled this episode Donald Trump's Last Stand because, look, he's got three weeks left. Uh, He needs to make a stand right now, and he needs to do everything he can to bring this uh, to bring his chances uh, to the forefront in the best way possible. He's got an uphill battle, though, and I think it's important that we understand that. We spent last break kind of going through what got us to this point. And this point, if you kind of go back to the summer, this brings Trump into the summer with four basic big chances to change the narrative. He's been behind for a while. How does he change the narrative? Everyone's focused on everything else. We need these attention grabbers. Well, he's got four chances. Number one, the convention. Now, that's usually good for some sort of bounce. But this year, it's virtual, and while I thought they did a pretty good job with it, it doesn't really wind up moving the needle. Then you've got the first debate. Now, going in, Trump needs a big win. A stalemate is a win for Biden because Biden's already ahead. If he gets a stalemate, that's fine for him. To get a stalemate, all Biden really has to do is to not blabber about Cocoa Krispies for 40 minutes. I mean, the the hurdle was low for him to clear. So what happens? Well, I mean, no matter what you think about Trump's performance, it seems to have moved the polls in the opposite direction. Uh, seems to have helped Biden. Biden opened up his lead by eh, three or four points. And now we're at the sort of high single digits, low double digits type of lead for Joe Biden in most polls. Trump's third of four chances to change the direction. Well, that's the second debate. And that one is canceled because the president gets the coronavirus. This is I mean, this you can't make this stuff up. His last chance, maybe there's one more debate. If we're lucky, we get one more debate. But do we even know that yet? Who knows? Again, I don't tell you any of this because I'm happy about it. I can feel Kamala Harris getting a giant vacuum hose ready to suck all of my money out of my bank account. A Biden win will be bad for a million different reasons. But this is where we are right now. And it leaves a few remaining ways for Trump to win. A, 
we could have some massive unforeseen event that unites the country behind Trump. This is 2020, after all. I expect at least one more alien invasion in the next few weeks. Or maybe China attempts a Red Dawn-like attack. I don't know. It could happen. The point is, every election, no matter what the state of the race, always has this possibility of this big, unforeseen event. So you have to account for that. Uh, B, there's some sort of massive polling error that it is benefiting Trump in the end. Look, I feel like a lot of Republicans are banking on this. But that's a scary place to be. You don't want to be banking on a giant polling error. Remember, the polls didn't miss by that much last time. The national polls only missed by one point in 2016. That was enough last time. But it won't be nearly enough from where we are in the polls right now. Let's stop and dive in on this for a little bit, because I think this is the most popular theory on the right. Let me give you a collection of random numbers, because that's what I do here. Okay, here we go. 28, 8, 7, 15, 10, 3, 7, 5, 1, 7, 4, 8, 5, 9, 2, 7, 11, 8, 7, 9, 6, 3, 6, 6, 6, 6, 8, 14, 7, 6, 11, 8. A big collection of random numbers. What are those numbers? Now, if they were Trump deficits, you might say, okay, well, he can at least pick off some of those states. It's not that bad. But those aren't Trump deficits. Those are all individual polls, national and statewide, and how far Trump 2020 is behind Trump 2016. In other words, in almost every single poll, in almost every single state, Donald Trump is in a much worse position than he was in 2016. And that was already freaking hard to do. That was a heavy lift last time. This is much, much more difficult. We should recognize this, and if he wins, I mean, this is the ultimate political achievement. Remember all of those data journalists that kind of got lots of criticism for getting it wrong last time? 538 had Trump with only a 29% chance to win the election in 2016. Now, leaving off the legitimate disclaimers about probability for a second, they clearly thought Trump was going to lose. After suffering through the past four years of everyone reminding them of this on Twitter, you'd think there'd be a big incentive to avoid counting Trump out this time. Why get burned and embarrassed all over again? Well, this time, 538 has Trump not at a 29% chance to win, but at a 13% chance. Look, I've been doing an election analysis in this whole thing for a long time, and I thought Trump was going to lose in 2016, too. I said many times that I thought his chances were undervalued, though. The New York Times model had Trump at only 15%. Some models had him, gave him a 1% chance of winning. I thought it was more like 35 or 40%, but I did think he was going to lose. That's the one major election I have ever had wrong. But it was also my single largest gambling win of all time. I didn't think Trump would pull it off, but I did think there was a lot of value in Donald Trump. He was getting like five and a half to one on election day. I don't see that value this time. I have to be honest with you. It's a lot easier to make the case for the opposite. And that is terrifying. All right, C, the third and most likely way is for Trump to win in a combination route. He chips away a few points at the race and it, and it just tightens. I do think that that's likely. I do not think Joe freaking Biden is going to win by 12 points. I do expect this to tighten at some level over the next three weeks. Then Trump gets a normal polling error in his favor, and he gets a little bit of an advantage from the Electoral College, which is a real thing for, for the Republicans at this particular moment. And all those things kind of work in combination, and he's able to squeak out the Electoral College. This sort of thing is legitimately possible, but it is going to take a lot of work. 
it's going to take considerable message discipline from Donald Trump. And before you say, oh, that's impossible, remember that down the stretch in 2016, he actually was relatively disciplined. The big event of those last few weeks was not Trump saying something crazy in 2016. It was him saying something crazy on a bus with Billy Bush many years earlier. Down the stretch, Trump showed that he can do this if he puts his mind to it. Trump could use a big and obvious moment of disaster from Joe Biden. A gift would be nice. It would be well-timed. The biggest problem Trump is having in 2020 is that people just don't seem to hate Joe Biden. I don't get it either. They hated Hillary Clinton. Everybody hated Hillary Clinton. And a lot of people hated Hillary Clinton and they hated Donald Trump. But those people that hated both candidates in 2016 went for Trump in you know, large numbers at the last minute. That might happen again, it's possible, but so far the opposite is going on. There just aren't enough anti-Joe Biden voters out there. Trump could use a moment from Biden. He could really use that. If something like that happens, he can create some more anti-Biden voters, which are really needed at this point. And if you want Trump to win and you're on the fence as to whether you're going to get involved or whether you're going to volunteer or whether you're going to knock on that last door, now is the time. This is Trump's last stand. He needs your help to get four more years. This is not going to be easy for him, and he is not going to coast to reelection. There are a lot of conservative analysis out there that, you know, look, it's well-meaning. I think people's hearts are in the right place. But I think it's making a lot of Republicans complacent. People seem to think, you know, because Trump pulled a rabbit out of his hat in 2016, he'll just do it again. I mean, maybe Trump is magic. Maybe he is the ultimate magician. But if you're depending on magic, you're in serious trouble. I am not saying this thing is over. I think a lot can change. I think there's still hope. There is still hope. If you're a Donald Trump fan, your world should not be shattered at this moment. But it is important to be realistic. If you want Donald Trump to win, now is the time to do everything you can to convince undecided friends and get like-minded people to the polls. This is not impossible, but there's only three weeks left and time is running out. I love what I do here at The Blaze. It's a lot of fun. Make no mistake. You know, co-hosting the morning radio show with one Glenn Beck is sometimes fun. Uh, this show is fun on other days, not today, but mainly it's fun. Never-ending meetings, marriage, kids, exhausting, right? The whole thing, the whole package of life is a little bit exhausting right now. Just watching the news these days is exhausting, and that's on TV. Coffee, energy drinks, uh, candy, these are things you just kind of go through on the, during the day to get your energy up. But they're always, you know, they're not good for your health, first of all. And they come with a crash at the end. That's why I love Dawn to Dusk. Uh, you can stay sharp all day without the junk and without the crash. Dawn to Dusk is a physician-formulated extended-release energy supplement, which lasts up to 10 hours, increases your energy, improves your mood, and stimulates your brain with no jitters. If you need that extra focus, you need that little wake-up in the afternoon, you're going to love Dawn to Dusk. It's safe, effective, and now you can try their two-week quick start pack for only $14.99. Go to BrickHouseStew.com, BrickHouseStew.com. 
Stew.com and take advantage of the special trial offer. Make sure you fit the stew in there because the, you know, the URL is not going to work if you don't do it right. Um, and of course, if you use stew in BrickHouseStew.com, that's how they know. You like this stupid show. Experience the benefits of dawn to dusk for a full two weeks for just $14.99. It's almost 70% off. BrickHouseStew.com. That's BrickHouseStew.com. Joining us now and assumedly taking a break from corralling all of his handmaids on his cult compound is Dan Andros, managing editor of Faithwire. Be sure to head to Faithwire's YouTube page and subscribe so you don't miss a minute of their excellent reporting. Dan, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> uh, we are watching the notorious ACB uh, on uh, center spotlight this week in a really important moment for the country. I think you'd agree with that. Uh, though the coverage and the questioning from Democrats uh, is not so serious, uh, frankly, uh, one of the big things they've been trying to do is go down this road of questioning uh, Amy Coney Barrett's religion and insinuating that it's going to take her down some dark and evil paths. Yeah, uh, and this has happened beforehand. So far in the hearings, they haven't really fully zeroed in on it. They've sort of touched on her faith and um, and have kind of, I don't know, maybe they've realized that this wasn't a good idea to fully attack on that. They've been going all in on the uh, Affordable Care Act. That's sort of been their angle. But ahead of time, the big buildup was this breathless reporting in the media of this group that she was allegedly part of called the People of Praise and was painted as dark and secretive and scary. And, uh, you know, if you Google it, Google people praise Amy Coney Barrett, uh, the reporting is just insane. <laughs> uh, and then when you actually look into it, you're like, OK, the, what's where's the fire here? Well, it sounds really scary. People <laughs> of praise. praise. I mean, wow, I that sounds just horrific uh, to yes. everyone who lives in certain areas of Brooklyn. It probably does. <laughs> um, but, I yeah. mean, you know, I, I keep hearing the reporting about how bad this group is. You've done some looking into it. You know, Faithwire does a lot of great reporting on faith issues. Um, and you've decided to actually look at this and not just take the word of the media. What did you find? Yeah, well, we talked to uh, Will Maul, who is a, uh, a Faithwire uh, writer who is now with Premier Christian News. And he actually just said, you know what? I'm going to call these guys. I'm going to call Whoa. Uh, people of praise and see. I know. Crazy. Crazy revelation and there. They, and I, I assume they, they have a headquarters inside of a mountain somewhere uh, hidden away from all impossible to reach them. Is that is that the way this works? Well, right. I mean, it's basically like trying to find Osama bin Laden. You had to find the carrier. You had to go on this big thing for multiple years. And then finally you get to them. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it turns out they actually responded his email in about 10 minutes uh, and then and then did an interview. And so, you know, sure enough, this is just a group of Christians trying to live out the biblical mandate to uh, serve one another as Christians. They uh, it's you know, it's like living the like very close knit community, kind of like being in a small group or something. Um, where they, you know, this isn't like a commune, but they're, but they do live, you know, uh, and share a lot of one another's lives, but they're trying to do it and help other people as well. They move intentionally into impoverished neighborhoods and help poor people by building schools and giving them, this is really scary stuff when you really look down at it. Because that is, you know, every description I've read of this organization tries to paint it as some sort of scary cult, like it's going to be the handmaid's tale or something. 
But when you just, they describe the actions of the group, it seems like it's just a bunch of people who are getting together and trying to spread the word of God through mainly charitable acts. Is that, is that a, a fair summary of, the, of what they're doing? Yeah, that, that's absolutely it. And of course, the Bible teaches us to um, care for the saints as well. So we're first care for the saints, then out for the world. So they do both of those things. Uh, and so, yeah, for them to, you know, try to paint this as, and again, where they zero in on is the secular, classic secular misunderstanding, or at least, you know, perversion of terms in the Bible, like from Ephesians, you know, talking about wives submit to your husbands, <gasps> submission, right. the women are all submitting and they're keeping them in the kitchen. And this is the narrative they want to push. But Amy Coney Barrett is about to be on the highest court of the land, one of the most powerful pe people in the world. They've done a terrible job at suppressing women if that's their goal, because one of their own snuck right out and now she's going to be on the Supreme Court of the United States. She hey, somebody needs to get fired over there. Yeah, she literally beat out every man in America for this job, uh, including her <laughs> husband, who is also right. in the same field. Um, and yet, I guess uh, women are just being uh, kept down too much by religious folk. Think of the idiocy. Michael Moore, you know, I think posted a Photoshop picture of the hand. There was some handmaidens, you know, protesting, oh, dr sure. dressed up like handmaids outside uh, outside the Supreme Court. And just think of the hilarious um, oxymoron that is. You're trying to say, look at this, this woman who's been oppressed. She doesn't even realize it. She's in there going for the Supreme Court of the United States, but she's so oppressed. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Right. It's, it was a dumb criticism when they did it. Face. When they did it to Kavanaugh, it was a dumb criticism. This is unearthly. I mean, it's it's such a stupid point. I will say though, the the left has a, a great road here, though, Dan, because think of think of this process for a second. Uh, the the left writes a book called The Handmaid's Tale in which they want to make a scary sort of, um, you know, the theocracy uh, into, and they run this country. And if you've seen the show or you've read the book, you know, basically what they're doing is this fundamentalist sort of uh, religious cult takes over um, part of America and they right. run this country and they, they, you know, they, they do terrible things to women. And so you write this horror story and out of it, you pull the word handmaids, Right. So you take a religious reference from the Bible and you say, mm -hmm. OK, well, handmaids will just act as if they're they're manipulating that word into something really terrible and treating women like they're nothing. Then later on, you get to go back and say, I can't believe these religious groups are naming their people after the Handmaid's Tale, like the Handmaid's <laughs> Tale came after the Bible, if my chronology is correct. And yeah. I, it just like it seems like the left has this set up with the media where they get to win this argument at every side. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You set that up as you, you take a term that exists, then declare it bad and then, you know, go back and say, look, they're using this bad term. Like that makes you can't right. do that. Yeah. Uh, You're mean, the one that made it bad. It wasn't bad until you made it bad. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, yeah, and that that term does come from the Bibles. That that's where. Uh, and, and by the way, the writer of The Handsmaid's Tale I forget her name, but she, uh, she said like, well, that that's what they were trying to do is, you know, kind of critique religion. Mm -hmm. uh, they didn't even know that this group existed. So, you know, it wasn't this group that they got that name from. Like you said, they probably got it from the Bible and then just, you know, perverted it, twisted it. But but it is from Luke 138 when uh, the angel talks to Mary, tells tells her that she's going to have a child. And then she says, you know, I'm the, in the King James version, I'm the Lord's, I'll be the Lord's handmaid and, you know, I'm, I'm your servant. So, 
Um, she's talking about serving the Lord, like so terrible. Um, but uh, but that's, that's yeah, but that's where it is. And they turn it into this big negative, which, by the way, the group changed it just because they didn't want to deal with this nonsense of them being criticized. So they did just change and not call them handmaids because they're like, why bother now? Thanks. So you've ruined that. They've just made this group with like 1700 people in it across the country, just changed, changed the name of their, of their group. Just, you know, right. just because they're annoying. And this is like, it's an amazing, you know, it has nothing to do with the Supreme court justice, but it has, it has something amazing to say about our culture where, you know, someone can take a, a legitimate biblical reference twisted into something dark and terrible and the people using it in the correct way have to change. <laughs> They're the yeah, ones that are yeah. forced to have to change what they're doing because their charitable work is now being ruined by some anti-religion uh, novel. It's really amazing, especially when you think about the backdrop of what is happening in the country right now. We have leftist agitators and Antifa and BLM burning down cities across the, across the country. They're violence, looting, shooting people all the rest. And this is the group they choose to paint as nefarious mm. and negative and something you should be scared of. The people burning down the country, mostly peaceful, but watch out for these handmaidens. They're going to get you. <laughs> you know, it is fascinating because they don't seem to have anything on Amy Coney Barrett. I, no. I mean, look, they didn't seem to have much on Gorsuch either, but it was the first one that Trump got to pick and there was a whole term ahead. So you knew there really wasn't any way they could stop it. They pulled out everything they could come up with, up and in, including gang rape on Brett Kavanaugh. Amy Coney Barrett, they kind of just seemed to have thrown their hands up in the air and said, ah, crap, I, I can't think of anything. Because, I mean, there's, you have these religious attacks, which you're right, they tried more in the first sort of session with her. Um, that Now they're kind of doing this, uh, this ACA thing. And if you listen to the ACA thing, there's no real argument that the um, uh, uh, Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act is going to really get overturned. I mean, the chances of that are very, very small. Uh, but... This is more now, I think, for Democrats, a high-profile campaign commercial. They get up in front of the crowd. All the cable news networks are there watching these, these hearings, and they're just making campaign speeches as to why you should vote for Joe Biden or some random Democratic sen senator. It, it really has just turned into another convention, isn't it? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, when you, it's, it's really sad. I mean, I've been kind of shocked at how unrelated i feel bad for amy coney barrett it's like she it's like it's like they're it's like she showed up to her own birthday party and no one wants to talk to her about her birthday you know it's it's like they're <laughs> yeah. all just going around talking about look at this puppy over here isn't this cute oh hi amy happy birthday uh let's go talk about to this puppy over here it's so cute you know they it's like oh they're like oh hi but congratulations way to be here here are 15 sob stories about the aca and she's just like uh yeah i don't decide the law and my personal preferences on policy don't matter they're irrelevant Okay, that's great. Now here's another uh, yeah. policy, uh, or another sob story that I want to send your way. I mean, they have car. I mean, they have cards. One of them trotted out. I'm forgetting which one, but one of them trotted out today. A full poster of a Trump tweet from 2015. What is she supposed to say about a Trump tweet from 2015? <laughs> what, what does that have to do with anything about her nomination? Nothing. nothing. Zero. Zilch. Yeah, and it, it's it embarrassing. is embarrassing. It is really nothing, and I don't know. Maybe we'll have some big 
twist, an M. Night Shyamalan moment here in the next few days where the Democrats pull out, you know, maybe they'll accuse Amy Coney Barrett of gang rape. I keep thinking it's going to happen. Did you see did you see what Senator Hirono did just she, a little she, bit ago? She did just ask kind of that question, didn't she? Yeah, she did. I, I was kind of half listening. I was doing other things. And I was like, did she just she just asked her point blank. Like, have you ever committed a sexual assault? She might have even said rape. She definitely asked about a sexual assault. And <laughs> what? What is Hirono <laughs> doing? I mean, I don't want to be sexist here, but I feel like the possibilities of a woman <laughs> completing gang rape is just, it's just unlikely. It's just I don't know why there's some physical limitation there. I just don't see it. Yeah. Well, it's mostly in like schlub society, right? I'm not speaking for me, but just think of in general, like, you know, dirtbag guys, you mm-hmm. know, like they're always like, you know, oh, you want to hook up? All right, great. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, nine times out of 10, you're going to find these loser guys that are just willing to do whatever. Uh, that's, how do you think Bud Light exists as a company? Uh, it's very important. Um, so uh, let's talk generally here for a second about the Supreme Court, because I think yeah. we because it's 2020. And because we've had a pandemic and race riots and, uh, you know, that every Trump's tweets from 2015, which are apparently a big issue, all these huge things that have gone on this year, we are in some ways missing the gravity of this moment in that here's the thing that conservatives have wanted to get done for a long time, which was to get a majority of, of justices to actually understand that the Constitution has words on it and we should read them. Um, and here's a chance where you go from someone like uh, Justice Ginsburg, who, you know, God rest her soul, um, legitimately preferred the South African Constitution to the American Constitution. This is not someone who I mean, she may have been a very good person. Everyone seemed to really like her. She was a terrible Supreme Court justice. Repa- <laughs> replacing her with Amy Coney Barrett, if she is as she seems to be, uh, is a massive change in our country and one for the better. Yeah. And when you listen to her talk, cause I've, I've, uh, you know, because of my job, I've been having to listen to this thing, mm-hmm. uh, nonstop and you listen to her talk and it's just, it's really, I don't know how you can be, even if you are a liberal and you listen to her and she's very clearly articulating her desire to follow the law. And she really, you know, uh, has a lot of you know, personal integrity when it comes to upholding the law and putting her personal opinion aside. This is not just bloviating for her so she can be an activist judge. Uh, you know, as Senator Mike Lee said, you can't you can't hide this stuff uh, in your all of your writings and your decisions that you've made over the years. And so um, she seems to be very committed to that. That's what her DNA is as far as a judge. And so you watch it and you kind of think like how you know, have your battles for the law on the on the legislative level and don't you know, don't freak out about this, you know. And so um, she she does seem to be. And, and that's a good thing for conservatives because we like the Constitution. And so we don't want unconstitutional things. Now, liberals tend to not like the Constitution, as you just mentioned there with, you know, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, and that mentality where they, they do tend to want to usurp it or you know, I mean, that's why they're willing to talk about packing the courts uh, and be like, I don't know. Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. Whatever. They don't care about the Constitution as much. Uh, they don't revere it. They don't want to live by it. So uh, by and large, a lot of them, mm-hmm. especially the activists. And so I think that's the difference you're seeing here. And you can see it with Amy Coney Barrett. I don't I don't know how if you care at all about the Constitution, how you could be worried about this appointment. No, I mean, she seems really poised and really ready for this, which is, is a nice change. You don't feel like the, you know, I don't feel like when I'm watching her nervous, 
Like, I feel no. like whenever, whenever no. Republicans nominate anyone for anything, I'm always on the edge of my seat thinking they're going to screw it up somehow. She seems just so smart and so oh. in control. It's, it's great to watch. She, I don't know if you caught the Amy Klobuchar section, but she absolutely handled Amy Klobuchar today. Um, like she was just sipping on a margarita by the pool, just <laughs> flicking away a flicking away a fly with annoying questions. It was mm. it was amazing. Uh, you know, Klobuchar just kept trying to go in for these emotional pulls, and uh, it was just she just kept failing so bad. I was starting to feel bad for Klobuchar a little bit. Um, I was kind of hoping that somebody would do like a you know Apollo night. You know, get the hook. Just kind of all right, just wrap <laughs> it up. Just don't do it. You know, just just cut it now before it gets worse. Well, we don't have many rules on this show, Dan. But feeling bad for Amy Klobuchar is against them. Uh, so I said almost. Okay, I said almost. That's okay. Um, I will say we started the show with a with a somewhat rough path uh, Donald Trump has uh, ahead of him for reelection. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be easy. This is going to be a tough road for him. Um, but I will say that if you went into this and you said. We're going to get three support Supreme Court justices, uh, someone from the right, someone from the middle and someone from the left replaced with three choices from Donald Trump. I mean, you could argue two or three out of the three look pretty darn good right now. Uh, there's a big chunk of the audience, I think, that would say I'd rather have six conservative Supreme Court justices or five point one with John Roberts than having, uh, you know, than even having the presidency. So. That's how important this is. Like the the election is really important, but this moment we can't lose sight of how vital this is for Republicans to get across the finish line. Dan Andros, uh, managing editor of Faithwire, um, all these stories on people of praise on the site, so people can share them when their annoying friends uh, call them a cult. Uh, yes, uh, if you, you just uh, go on Faithwire and just uh, either just scroll down a little bit, shouldn't be that far down, or just uh, just search people of praise in the search box there on Faithwire.com, and it'll should pop right up. All right, check it out, faithwire.com. Dan Andros, back in just a second. So Keith Olbermann, there's a name from the distant, distant past, Former MSNBC anchor, uh, he was on ESPN. You'd remember him maybe from uh, Sports Center, Dan Patrick back in the day. Then he went over to like MSNBC. Got fired a few times, kind of from back and forth between MSNBC and ESPN. Um, eventually, I think he was on another network too at one point. Eventually, had like sort of a run at cable news stardom for a short time when he was critical of George W. Bush. Um, basically, he would say that he should resign every day. I would say was the majority of his his coverage um, led to one of the greatest uh, performances by Ben Affleck in any role doing Keith Olbermann on Saturday Night Live, which someone posted the other day and and made that same observation. And I rewatched it. It's a freaking great bit. Uh, Go back and watch that Ben Affleck, Keith Olbermann. It is you cannot believe Saturday Night Live would actually put this on television today. You won't believe that they actually did this back in the day. But anyway, Olbermann's kind of a moron. Uh, he after he, you know, kind of fizzled out for the 400th time and got fired and everyone had hated him at one company. He got tossed back to another one, was on ESPN for a while. Um, now uh, he's apparently back to political commentary for the 25th time. I, I don't even know. And here he is blabbering about Donald Trump. Trump can be and must be expunged. The hate he has triggered, the Pandora's box he has opened, they will not be so easily destroyed. So, 
Let us brace ourselves. The task is twofold. The terrorist Trump must be defeated, must be destroyed, must be devoured at the ballot box. And then he and his enablers and his supporters and his collaborators and the Mike Lees and the William Barrs and the Sean Hannity's and the Mike Pence's and the Rudy Giuliani's and the Kyle Rittenhouse's and the Amy Coney Barrett's must be prosecuted and convicted and removed from our society while we try to rebuild it and to rebuild the world Trump has nearly destroyed by turning it over to a virus. Remember it, even as we dream of a return to reality and safety and the country for which our forefathers died, that the fight is not just to win an election, but to win it by enough to chase, at least for a moment, Trump and the maggots off the stage and then try to clean up what they left. Remember it, even though to remember it, means remembering that the fight does not end November 3rd, but in many ways will only begin that day. I, look, I can make a legitimate case that that is a horrifying monologue that should terrify any person uh, who uh, does not believe in a dictatorship and does not believe in locking up their political enemies uh, every single time something does not go their way. Uh, there's a really scary backbone to that sort of talk. I think a lot of people would be familiar with it, um, with the organizations being put together by the left. We could, I could do that for you. I will say I'm not going to do it nearly as well as Glenn Beck did on Monday on the radio show. Go back and listen to it and his commentary on this. The other way I can go is to just freaking laugh at it. That is the strangest piece of performance art. What is this guy doing? I, it is a fascinating thing to watch him try to get through those monologues. They're just so off-putting and strange. And, I, you know, there's a lot of points you could criticize there. But what exactly has Amy Coney Barrett done to be arrested? What, what, why would Amy Coney Barrett be prosecuted? What has she done? What does Kyle Rittenhouse have to do with the Trump administration? He's some 17-year-old kid who, who killed a couple people because they were attacking him. Regardless of whether you think that's the right thing, what does that have to do with what you're talking about? All of this is crazy time. The man is bonkers. And I am, I will say, appreciative he's back in our lives. Because if nothing else... It gives us endless entertainment. So thank you, Keith Olbermann. Please bring Ben Affleck back to do another fake Keith Olbermann montage. Uh, and that, that will be peak United States of America. Love to get your reviews on iTunes. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This says super optimal. Stu's arsenal of wit and fact weapons make this podcast worth seven stars. However, the suboptimal rating system limits me to five freaking stars. Whatever. Thank you very much. Love this stupid show. Listen to the show if you actually want to form your own opinions instead of getting them from the government and news media. Learn, then protest. 
Cheers to you can go to learnthenprotest.com to get your uh, your T-shirt. You'll love that one. It's great to wear to any uh, peaceful protest you happen to attend. Uh, whatever, conservative nerds. I love Stu and I love this stupid show. I listen to Stu the first thing every day. Five freaking stars or whatever, you nerds. Beth from Omaha. Uh, better than clipping toenails. The best way to kill time since learning to clip my toenails. Five freaking stars. Thank you very much. Meh. Decent show. Meh. His name isn't even Stu. It's Steve. He's a vegetarian living in the greatest barbecue state in America. How can we believe anything he says on this stupid show? He redeems himself only because his wife is super smart and smoking hot. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Nice. Steve, Stu, whatever. Five freaking stars. Thank you so much. We have more for you tomorrow. We'll see you then.